For those of you who don't know, my name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here as well. And I also um, just got back from a couple of weeks uh, that I spent some time in Israel, in Egypt, and in Jordan. And so uh, this morning so far, the questions have primarily been two. First of all, did you have a good trip? And the answer is absolutely. It was wonderful, and I'll be sharing about that some already this morning. The other question is, when did you get your luggage? Uh, many of you know that I got there and my luggage didn't. And so I got luggage last week, Thursday, three days that night, three days before we came back. So for 10 days, I lived out of my carry-on. Um, and I had, so I had two shirts, a pants and a pair of shorts. And so I washed stuff and, and wore it the next day and just kind of every night did wash. And so it was, it was wonderful. I shared with somebody over here that there were uh, eight Amish people on the trip as well. And when you can out-simplify the Amish, you are living simply. simply. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, I could accuse them of being materialists because they had suitcases. They, they had, like, three pairs of clothes, and I only had two. And so, no, it was, it was wonderful, and, and it worked out fine. Thank God I'm a male, and so it's really easy to go by without luggage. And uh, I could just, I, if you need clothes washed in your sink, I can do that. I got to be really good at that. So I want to talk about something as we start that actually I was doing last week Sunday in the afternoon. We were in Jerusalem, and we were taking a road along the, uh, the north side of Jerusalem, and uh, this is what's called the, uh, the Damascus Gate. We were heading east, and we went past this, but we didn't go in here. We went to another little place, a little door further on, and uh, this actually isn't a gate into the city. What this is, is this is a, a door into a cave underneath the city. This is Zedekiah's uh, cave or Solomon's quarry. And, and we went down in there, and it was kind of fascinating. This is kind of what it was like at the beginning. But then this thing opened up, and it was huge. It was huge. It actually went about 650 feet long from the entrance to the, to the end of it, and it was about 300 feet wide in some places. And, and, and so we were down there. Now, it was not natural made. This is, as I said, a quarry. This, or this thing was, was man-made. It was, it was put together by human hands, digging it out. And this was primarily the place where they... Where they recovered the stones and they dug out the stones that were used in the temple that was there in Jesus' day. And so you can see here a little bit clearly, more clearly, uh, we stopped at this place and you can see sort of the lines of where they would cut out those blocks. And the blocks that they cut out were huge. Many of them were very, very large. Uh, you can see from some pictures of the temple here, um, this is the western wall that's still there right now. And these would have been stones that would have been taken from that quarry, that would have been taken from underneath Jerusalem there, pulled out and, and put into this. Um, here's another place where you can see some of them. And again, you see the guy there. Um, that's how large these things are. These things are monstrous, and they're huge, and they're big. And so we were down there talking about this. George DeYoung, who was pastor at Holland Heights uh, Christian Reformed Church out in Holland, was, was the leader of our trip. And so as George was talking, one of the things he was pointing out to us, he said, you know, you've got to understand something, that stone cutting, stone masonry, masonry is really an art. It's not just a matter of kind of saying, I need a two-by-four, or I need a four-by-six. It's not just a matter of kind of saying, this is what it is, and you take out your power saw or your power drill, and you, you cut everything out. He said, for those who did this stone cutting, he said, it was really an art. And I, and I really believe that's true for all builders. For those of you who are builders, I am amazed at what you do. But it's not just kind of something that you follow a recipe by. There's an art to it. And he said, there are three things a stone cutter needs to know. All right, there are three things a stonecutter needs to know as he's underneath the city there, in this case, in that quarry, cutting out stones for the, for the temple. He said, first of all, you need to know what you're building. Even though you're underneath the ground there, you need to kind of have a sense of what is it up there. And, and this is obviously not the real temple because it's been torn down, but here's a model of what it was ultimately that they were building. 
This is Herod's temple. It was the temple in Jesus' day. And uh, again, it was monstrous. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. It was, it was just shiny and bright and so on. Uh, again, this is just a model of it. But, but that person down in the quarry needed to have a picture of this, needed to see what, what stones he was cutting for, what, what was he, the project all about, needed to see that bigger picture. So that was the first thing. Second thing George said that that stone cutter needed to know was he needed to know the stone. He needed to know the stone. What, is, what, what does that mean? What, am I, what was he talking about? Well, apparently, and, and, and again, you can see him maybe a little bit in this picture, but, but when you look at a stone, and I couldn't do it, although I could see some of the lines in it, a good stonemason, a good stone cutter can look at that stone and sort of say, you know, this is where its natural line is. This is where it, its strength is. This is where its weakness is. And, and kind of say, okay, this is going to be a stone about, you know, this big. I can cut it six feet across or two feet across or ten feet across or, or this high and this low because there are fault lines running through this stone. And so before they cut any stone, before they break anything, they, they get a sense of, of where the stone is. The stone has, in a sense, its own set of gifts, its own abilities, its own characteristics. And a good stone cutter is going to recognize that and is going to cut in line with that, all right? So you need to know what you're building. You need to know the stone. And the third thing is you need to know where the stone is going to go in in the building, where it's going to be placed, right? Because that's going to make a difference as well. And that's why it's an art, because you're working some with what the stone has, some with what you need over here. And so, uh, again, as you're down there underneath, they would be thinking, okay, where is it going to go? Is it going to be one of these big blocks in, in that area? Is it going to be one of these smaller ones up top there? Is it going to be one that used, that's used in an arch? Uh, and you can see that from there. Or is it going to be one that's behind that facade there, that marble that was in front of the temple? But, but you need to kind of know that because that, that stone is then going to get kind of specifically shaped for that spot. It's got some of its own characteristics, and you want to recognize those things. But that stone is, is going to go into a place, and you say, okay, now we've got to make it specifically for that. Stone cutting is an art, and I mention all of that because what I want to say is that finding our place in God's plans is an art as well. As we seek what God is calling us to do, as we seek what God is calling us to be as individuals and as a church, it's an art to try to say, God, where, where are you calling us? Where do you want us to be? How do you want to use us? Some of us in leadership here at church for a number of years have been really just praying, saying, God, what's, what's, what's next? What are, we, what are you calling us to do? Where, where do we go from here? How, how do we know what you're doing, and, and how, how can we be a part of it? And we've been thinking about it and praying about it. And, and for the next three or four weeks, we'll see how long I go with this, but, but, but for the next several weeks, what I really want to do more than anything else is just ask you to, to be in prayer, to say, God is a church. You know, we're sitting here, it's fairly full. What, what's next? Do we say, do we plant? Do we, I don't, I don't know. I, I, as a, a leader, I probably should say, and I know, God told me, God hasn't yet. At least I haven't heard it yet. And so what I want to do is let's just pray together and say, God, God, we want to make the biggest impact we can for your kingdom. So God, where are we? Now, in order to answer that, in order to try to find our place, we're going to kind of follow. This is why I was pretty excited because I had these things outlined. And then as George was talking about these stones, I thought, yeah, that's what we're doing. Because the first thing we need to know as we try to find our place in God's plan is we need to know what is God building? What, what is God doing? If we're going to find our place in his plan, we need to, to reflect on that. We're going to do that just a little bit this morning, to do that today. The second thing is we need to know who we are, uh, individuals and, and as a church. And I want to suggest that the Bible makes clear individuals have gifts, but I also think churches do. And, and part of what we want to say is, okay, who's Hillside? 
Who's this body? And, and who is God? what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are our gifts? What are our abilities? What is God calling us to do? It's going to partially be based on, on who we are. And so we need to know who we are. And then the third thing is we need to know where God has placed us. And, and so we have that dance of trying to say, okay, what are the needs? How do we do that? And so I, we're going to start this conversation, okay? We're not going to end it in three weeks um, unless God really makes something very clear to all of us. But we're going to start this conversation, again, finding our place in God's plan and, and, and just really committing ourselves. I'm asking you to commit ourselves to a time of just prayer and saying, God, what, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to be? What are you doing? So we start with that first question, what is God doing, all right? What is God doing? And I think it's absolutely essential that we start here, okay? It is so essential that we start here, and let me tell you why. Too often, too often we in the church fall in love with our plans rather than God's plans, okay? Too often what, we, what happens to us is, is we get excited about certain things, and we say, oh yeah, this is what, what we have to do, and, and we get excited about numbers or programs or buildings or whatever it is, and we get all committed to that, and, and, and pretty soon what happens is we're more committed to our goals and plans, and it's really ours, and it's not God's, and so the first thing I want to invite you and challenge you to do is just say, God, please show us what you are doing. Remind us that it's not about us. My plans are not worth anything, God's plans are. Your plans are not that important. God's plans are. And, 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 and that's why we're calling this finding our place in God's plan. It's not finding our plan. It's finding our place in God's plan. It's what God is doing. And, and all we can do is tag along. <laughs> we want to be a part of what God is doing. And so we start with that. This happens over and over in the church where we get it wrong. Think of the Pharisees of, G- of Jesus' day. They were, in, in many ways, some of the most passionate followers of God. They were so hungry, but they got it wrong so often. They got excited about the wrong stuff, and they said, yep, this is what God's plan is, and it was their plan. Jesus, in some really tough words in Matthew 23, says this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. In other words, what they did is they got all excited about these spices and they got all excited about saying, yes, this is how we know what God's will is and this is what God is really passionate about. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't God's deepest passion. It was kind of a secondary passion. And they made it a primary and they got off track. And and that can be so easy for us to do as well. And, and, and so I want us to say, you know, what is God doing? Because too often we fall in love with our plans, and I want us to really be committed to saying, no, it's not about our plans. It's not about our goals. It's about God and trying to figure out where is God calling us to go. So what is God doing? What, what is his plan? In order to answer that, I want to go to the very last book of the Bible, the very second to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. And, and, and this is going to kind of be a key, and then I'll, I'll, we'll work it back through well, the rest of the Bible. Revelation 21, verse 5 says this. He who was seated on the throne, picture of God in heaven, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And especially those five words. What is God doing? I am making everything new new. I am fixing everything. God says, you know what I'm doing? I'm restoring everything to its proper place. I am putting everything back together. I am putting it where it's supposed to go. And and in doing this, it's part of a huge, big story. And so here's where I want to preach on the whole Bible in the next three minutes, okay? All right. One of the ways, (laughs) now that's a challenge, right? One of the ways to to, to look at the Bible is to recognize, and others have done this before, but, but in a sense, this whole story, you can think of it in four chapters, 
Okay, four chapters in, in the biblical story. The first one is what we call creation. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's just that little page in this Bible that I've got right here, okay? Genesis 1 and 2. And what it talks about is how God created everything. And when God created it, everything was very good. Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. In that initial chapter, what happens is God creates it, and all the relationships are right. Adam and Eve are in a perfect relationship with God. They walk with him and they talk with him and and they spend time with him and they're in a perfect relationship with each other. They're in a perfect relation with creation, all of the animals and, and, and with the plants and everything just works exactly the way it's supposed to work. And so that's the first chapter, creation. The second chapter is what we call the fall. And this is just Genesis 3, which is again, one more page. All right, and I know we got some a lot to go, but um, you know this is this is key, and, and and what happens here in the fall is is because of pride, and because of foolishness, Adam and Eve, and somehow the Bible says we were all present in them. Adam and Eve end up rebelling against God and saying we can do it ourselves, and when that happens, everything breaks. All right, everything breaks. Their relationship with God is broken. They start to hide from God. Their relationship with each other is broken. They start to hide from each other. They start to deceive each other. They start to cover themselves up. There's violence that enters into the world, bombings, explosions. Again, we still see all the results of this today. Think about it, right? Floods, abuse, poverty, um, so many things, addiction, uh, death, disease, natural disasters, earthquake, floods. All of this stuff we say is the result of the fall because everything got broken. Everything got twisted. It's no longer the way that it's supposed to be. Now, God could have ended the story right there. God could have said, okay, it's done. I gave it to you, it was perfect, and you ruined it, and, and I'll just wait till you, till, till you just totally destroy it, and then you'll all be gone. But that's not what God does. What God does is, is God begins the plan of redemption. God redeems the plan of redemption. I'm going to say, again, the, the passages are a little bit, you know, you can argue about different places, but from Genesis 3, we get a promise, and that's, that's going to be this whole next section, to the end of the Gospels. Because what God says is, you know what, I am not going to let this go, but I am going to crush that serpent. I'm going to destroy him, and I will make all things new. And so God begins the plan of redemption, and he calls Abraham, and he calls Sarah, and and they have the nation of Israel, and he calls them to be a light to the other nations. They can never do it. And so finally he sends his son, Jesus Christ. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins and and to give his life. And, And through his life and death and then resurrection, he breaks the power of sin, he breaks the power of death, and he brings healing and hope. And that's what we celebrate when we come to the table. Paul writes about it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, even though, again, that's in the last section. Paul's talking about what Jesus did. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's redemption. That's God paying the price for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so we have victory. We have redemption. All right? That's the third chapter. That's the third thing that God does. He creates, it falls, and then he gives his son, Jesus Christ, so that everything could be made new. And then the fourth act, and this is where we are, the fourth chapter, restoration. Acts 1 to the end, this last section. And this is the one where we're living. That's where we get to Revelation 21. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And that's what God is doing right now. 
The world was created perfect. It fell, and then he redeemed it through Jesus Christ. And now he's in the act of restoring it, to making it new, to making it like it was. Though in some amazing way, it actually becomes better than it was at the beginning because of God's grace and because of God's love and because of God's amazing truth. He is making all things new and we need to understand we are living in chapter 4. So as we think about where, where we are in God's plan, about finding our place in God's plan, we need to understand what he's doing, all right? He is making all things new. And as you think about that this morning, I want to just really challenge you to think big, all right? To think big big about what God is doing to not limit it because again he created all things the sun the moon the stars he created the universe he created the the oceans he created every animal and he is in the process of making not some things but all things new certainly it starts let me just give you a list of some of the things it starts with God calling his children home right it starts with God saying now I want your hearts I want you to repent and turn back to me. On our part, that's evangelism, right? That's central to what God is doing in this world is he's calling his lost children to experience love and grace and new life. But he doesn't just stop there. Sometimes we in the church do that. We kind of say, well, what, what we have to do is get somebody to make a commitment. And that's really what matters. Once somebody has said, yep, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, it's like, cool, that's it. That's all God wanted. No, God is making all things new. And so not only does he call us to come home, he is also changing us. God is chipping away at us as those blocks, and we'll talk more about this next week, but God is chipping away at us, making us new, teaching us how to love, teaching us how to serve. He is at work right now restoring our hearts. God is restoring relationships. Just as those relationships were were broken, our relationship with him first, but our relationships with each other, God is into restoring relationships. He does that through us as a church. He calls us to begin to learn to love each other and serve each other and to give to each other and and, and to be a part of his body. He restores those relationships. He does it in our families. That's why there's a thing that we have, the, the marriage seminar next week and the celebration because God restores husbands and wives to each other. God is in the process of restoring parents and children, the process of restoring business workers and and. and uh, owners and, and, and all of us along the way. God is in the process of restoring relationships. All things made new. God is bringing life and healing to the hurting of this world, all right? God is doing that as well. That's part of what he's doing. It's clear. Streams of hope, that's part of what we do there, right? I mean, it's saying, you know what? God has a passion. In the kingdom, when all things are right, nobody's hungry. In the kingdom, when everything is right, nobody is homeless, in the kingdom, when everything is right, nobody is, is, is without clothes and without coats and without that stuff. And so God is in the process of making all of those things new. And so when we think about what God is doing, it includes all those things, all right? It includes all of those things. It's evangelism, and, and, and it's changing hearts, and it's, and it's growing a community, and it's reaching out to those who are in need. And it's even, it's even God is changing the systems of the world. God is making the systems of the world new. And and by that, I mean things like schools and hospitals and businesses and even politics. You know, the fact is God created the world and it was perfect, but it wasn't done, okay? It wasn't done. It wasn't finished. And he called on Adam and Eve. He called on us to complete it, to finish it, to develop it, to nurture it, to grow it. And that would have meant roads and cars and all these things. They would have happened. God intended that. And, and, and so now God wants us. I think there would have been government even without sin in the world, okay? You know, I mean, and, and so God is calling us to redeem government and schools and hospitals, all these areas. God wants all those things to be made new. 
Some of you are familiar with a guy by the name of Abraham Kuyper who said something that just gets me really passionate and excited. In, in thinking about God making all things new, Kuyper said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. What he's saying is, think it, not one square inch. In all of creation, not one square inch in the entire universe, not one square inch anywhere, not one square inch of of the movie industry, not one square inch, there is not one square inch of anything that Christ is not saying, I want it back. I'm going to make it new. I'm going to make it the way, because he created all, and the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he is saying about every square inch of this world, it's mine. It's mine, and I want it back. Every square inch of my life, every square inch of Hollywood, every square inch of New York, every square inch of Washington, D.C., every square inch of Moscow, every square inch of Pluto, every square inch of Jupiter, every square inch of everything in this whole creation, God is saying, this is mine. God is making all things new. He is making all things new. And I got a leak in next week's question, but, but what I want you to start already thinking about is, okay, so what's our place? What's our place? How, how, how do we do that? And again, as individuals, but also as a church, what, what role do we play? The fact is, the temple was not built, the temple was not built out of one block. Suppose God could have done that. God could have dropped a, a, a piece of limestone in, in, in the right place and, and they could have just carved everything else out away from it. But I think it's significant. That's not how God had his temple, temple built. When God had his temple, temple built, what, what he had was just a whole bunch of individual stones that fit together that became a temple. Now, Second Peter or First Peter says, you and I are living stones. You and I are living stones becoming God's temple. And the question is, what stone are we? What stone are we? Because God has us called to be a certain stone in his, in his temple. And, and again, as individuals, but us as a church. And part of what that means is, is, is I celebrate the churches that are, that are different kind of stones. All right? I am so thankful for churches like Cornerstone or Ada Bible or Cutlerville East or Covenant or all these other different churches around here because we need a lot of stones. We need a lot of stones. But I'm also saying, and for us again as individuals, our job is not to be Cornerstone or Ada Bible or, or Covenant or East or, or any of the other. Our job is to be Hillside. God has gifted us. We are a stone. We've got characteristics. We've got qualities. We've got strengths. We've got weaknesses. You might be looking at one of them, right? So anyway, but right, I mean, you, you know, we, we, who are we? What has God called us to do? What has God called us to be? Where do we fit? We're going to be talking about that a little more in the next couple of weeks. But, but I want you to just be thinking about that and saying, okay, God, you know, what do we do well? How do you want us to, to be used? We don't have to be every stone. We don't have to be every place, but we have to be what God is calling us to be. And so we look at it and we say, you know, what is our place? What is God's gift? So God is making all things new. And as we uh, wrap this up and, and turn into communion, I just want to really, again, I, I said at the beginning, what I'm going to ask you to do is pray. And I, I ask you to pray specifically for two things. First of all, pray that we can keep our eyes first on what God is doing. You know, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to say, God, we want to be a part of what you are doing. You know, I, I was talking with actually a guy from another pastor from Holland, and um, it was fascinating because we were talking about the challenges of, of, uh, of being the church. And his son, 
um, his son had been, uh, last summer, built a raft. His son built a raft, went to Hannibal, Missouri, to the Mississippi River, and he floated that raft all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. He had a little engine on it, and he said what he'd do is he'd go out and he'd get in the current, and he'd just follow the current. And, and we kind of said, you know what, that's what God wants us to do as a church, is to find his current, is to find his current. But, but we also said, you know what we tend to do is we tend to build canals. We tend to say, this is where we're supposed to go, so let's just dig a canal. And by the power of our own energy, we, we try to force the water there. And, and so just pray, God, help us to find your current. Help us to figure out what it is you're doing and help us to find our place in your plan. And, and then pray that we can be the stones that God wants us and needs us to be, all right? Just ask yourself, and again, as individuals and us as a church, where do we, where do we go? What is God calling us to do? How, how do we continue to, to be faithful to him? I, I don't, like I say, I don't know all the answers to that, and, and, I, and I suppose, you know, some of you would say I should because I'm supposed to know those things, but, but the fact is I don't. And, and so we pray and we seek God's leading together. So now I want to talk about coming to the table. As we come to the table this morning, and as we uh, take the bread and as we drink the cup, as we take these things, I really want you to think about chapters 3 and 4. Okay, you remember way back 20 minutes ago when we talked about chapters 3 and 4 about, about redemption and restoration because in this meal, we celebrate that Jesus has redeemed us. We celebrate that Jesus paid the price for our sins, that he who be- had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we celebrate our redemption. We celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ over death. But we also get fed. As we come to this table and we eat this bread and drink this cup, we, we remember that our sins are forgiven, but we also get fed so that we can be part of restoration, so that we can be faithful in bringing in God's kingdom, so that we can reclaim every square inch. And, and God feeds us at this table. And, and God enables us to remember that he starts by making us new, and then he uses us to make his entire creation new. Friends, there are a lot of fun things we can do in this world. There really are, and I hope you enjoy a lot of them. But I want to tell you that I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart, that there is nothing more fun and more exciting than being where God wants us, when God wants us, and how God wants us. Because he wants us to be his temple where he dwells and that brings in his kingdom. It's pretty awesome. You and I get to change the world. You and I get to be a part of what God is doing as he changes the world. So I just ask you to join me in prayer, to ask God to help us do that. Let's pray together. Father, we really do want to make a difference in this world as individuals and as a church. And Lord, in in so many ways, we, we feel like things are going pretty well here at Hillside. And the danger is that we can become complacent. And so, Lord, please help us to see what you want us to do. Help us to see where you want us to go. Lord, help us to be what you want us to be. You are building a new creation. We are living stones. Help us to be and to serve wherever you call us to be and to serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts. Let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This is my new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.
Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for a complete remission of all our sins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Our God redeems us, and we celebrate that at this table, and then he sends us out to help restore and make all things new. Let's stand and sing together the the doxology. Praise God from From whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. There are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room if you'd like to talk to somebody or pray with somebody. People of God, know as we go from, now as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. May we live in the joy of being redeemed and in the process of making all things new. Go in God's grace. Amen.